Hey Rockheads, this is Carl with an update on Music to Code By. On January 4th, 2016, I released the 11th Music to Code By track, Gold. That's right, there are now 11 25-minute tracks, including the original three. And you can download them all in one big zip file for less than 50 bucks at mtcb.pwop.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1248, with guest Michelle Bustamante. Recorded Wednesday, January 13th, 2016. And guess what? It's .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. This is the first of 12 shows, I think. At least 12. I think there'll be more. That we're doing at NDC in London. London, England. Well, and sort of. London, London, England. London, nice. And uh, we're at the Excel Center, which is really far east in London. It is. It's almost not London. Yeah. Yeah. I take two subways and a right rail to get here. But we've done a few series of shows from here, and this is what we do. They set us up in this fishbowl, which is really a, a portable room with windows all around. It's got our logos all over it, and we're sitting at a table. And Michelle Arubustamante is here. We'll be talking to her in just a minute. And, um, well, these are some of our favorite shows of the year, I think. It is so much fun to actually be in person, isn't yeah. it? I mean, yeah. we're used to being all remote and just voices in your head, which is fine. You know, I have voices in my head all the time. One thing that's different this year from last year is we're actually, we were right over there, and now yeah. we're over here. But <laughs> where we were last year, there was these cappuccino machines. Ah, Remember them? They were so noisy. They were so loud, and they would always go off when we're talking. So we don't have cappuccino machines this yeah. year. But I, I bet towards the latter half, we, we time the shows for when everybody's in session, so it's very quiet. Right. But off, you know, sessions end early and so forth, so it'll probably get noisy towards the end of the show. But that's but, okay. Yeah, you're going to hear noise. You're going to hear reflections. We're not in the studio, and that's okay, because, yeah. you know, what, what are we going to do about it? Yeah. All right. Let's start with Better Know Framework. I got something interesting for you that you, Michelle, might be interested in as well. Awesome, dude. <laughs> All right, tell me all about it. Dwala. Dwala? Dwala. Oh. D W O L L A. Dwala. Heard of Dwala? All right, go to dwala.pwop.me for a link, and it's a JS. It's a dwala.js library that powers, well, it's not just a library, it's a service. It powers ACH transfers and instant bank verification within your white label application, never hitting your servers with customer-sensitive financial information. So you can basically facilitate a transfer between two entities without ever seeing the bank accounts or the money or anything like that. Right. Uh, You can verify in two ways, post-customer account and routing number directly to Dwalla or leverage instant account verification. So I'm bringing this up not to give them free advertising because... You know, because there is a product here. It's as well. a product, but it's a cool idea. You know, payment gateways and dealing with these guys. These are, 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 it screams middleman to sure. me. Like, why do you need to call me 
to have a conversation. Why not? Why are you a sales guy for a, you know, because they want to get the best percentage they can get. And then, you know, they're always, I'm a web company and they're saying, so where do we send the terminal? It's like, no, you know, uh, just don't get me started with these guys. But, you know, here's an example of disruptive technology, putting power and dollars back in the hands of businesses. And I just love that. I think it would be interesting to see what their roadmap is, because if you think about the other payment services out there, some mm-hmm. of them try to do bank transfers and don't do it well. Mm. Um, I've worked with a few of them in the past, like mm. Balanced Payments, which ended up being acquired by Stripe. Right. And, you know, they actually did some good work, but then you have to look at what the limits are and, exactly. you know, what the API flexibility yep. is. So we don't know anything about this company. Yep. I just thought it was a cool idea and I wanted to uh, tell you about it. So Very interesting. We'll have to look into it and see if we can find some people who have used it later on. And that's what I got, dwala.pwop.me. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1104, one we did with Ms. Michelle Rubustamante. Never talked, heard of her. We talked a little bit about Azure. Right? It was sort of the new Azure, old Azure. We did these first hints about containers, because that was way at the beginning, right? This this is you know a show from early in, in twenty. 2015, so it was like about a year ago. Which means everything I said is now wrong. Absolutely. (laughs) So we're giving you a chance to correct. Welcome to our world, right? right? I mean, day in, day out, wrong, 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 wrong. Except there is one thing. You can actually go back in time to the SOA days and bring it on forward now and have a conversation again, even though a lot of people will say, please, God, no. In the end, Richard and I are all about generating history. That's yes. basically what we do. I like do. to show how long I've been around. That's right. Yeah. Just go through. Look at this list of shows. If it's going to show on my face, shows. it may as well show in my knowledge. There you go. <laughs> uh, no, and we, we're still using that, that fingertip picture of yours. That's right. Yeah, that's a read, great picture. Read the lines. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. It's a uh, thinking person. So, obviously a great show, like many shows we've done with MLB. Yeah. And this comment comes from Keith Williams, who says, Hey, guys, thanks for reading out our tweet about the emulator. Hmm. And that was part of your... Uh, your was that a um, Better Know Framework? Yeah, it was part of your Better Know Framework. We were talking about uh, the Azure Compute Emulator. Oh, right, right. And uh, which is very, yeah, a very cool thing. So obviously Keith's involved in that. Uh, I think in the long term, we will have to and want to move away from cloud services and into websites. So I don't think they want to get off the cloud, oh, per okay. se, but they're moving over. Because that's one of the Product conversations we're having at that, on that show was this whole, the old Azure web role versus Azure websites. Right? And now we got a whole nother couple of things to it's talk not, about. Okay, we're, you're jumping ahead. I'm still <laughs> trying, we're still trying to do the intro here. Uh, <laughs> if our app was different then, we might have done this already. But Michelle hit the nail on the head for us. We have one worker role which needs to install a bunch of niche software so that it can process some very large specialized file formats off of a queue, and that's not really something we can do with web jobs yet. Mm. Admittedly, this is a year ago. We know all this stuff is in motion. However, the wonderful thing about Azure and architecting our app in such a way that the stuff does work off of queue, which is, you know, step one, life is better with queues, and reading files off a storage container is that we could simply sandbox this worker role into our own cloud service, move the rest of the app to websites and web jobs and almost no code changes. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you continue to use some of the old stuff with some of the new stuff, mm-hmm. and, you know, migrate piece by piece. 
Having spent some time writing our current app to target the Azure platform and some time moving legacy and third-party apps across, it's really emphasized how important it is to architect an app so that it doesn't assume anything about the platform. Yes. I've seen way too many legacy apps that assume that you will always be able to get a UNC path or that there will always be a domain controller or that, of course, it will be able to use ADO.net. Mm-hmm. By abstracting these hidden dependencies, we can insulate ourselves for quite a large degree against the changing nature of the platforms we build against. Great show, and always good to hear anything on Azure from Michelle. Very cool. Well, thank you. Yeah. Hey, yeah, yeah, Keith, yeah. thanks so much for your comment. We totally agree. Michelle is made of awesome. And when .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you, and if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media. We post every show to Facebook and Google+. Plus. If you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And, of course, you can follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. And send us tweets. We eat them for dinner. <laughs> They're delicious and nutritious. <laughs> I'm running out of meals. Uh, sometimes snacks. Small All bites. Right. Small bites. One hundred. Every once in a while, don't you want to eat a blog? <laughs> well, they're lifting the 140-character limit, so <laughs> meals are getting larger. <laughs> more appetizing to me. Uh, let me formally introduce Michelle. Michelle LaRue-Bustamante is managing partner at Soliance, which you can find at soliance.net, S-O-L-L-I-A-N-C-E. She's also co-founder of Snapboard at snapboard.com and is recognized as a Microsoft Regional Director and MVP. She's really busy. <laughs> Michelle is a thought leader. With, that's not in your bio. I just threw that in there for you. Michelle, that's her mantra. I'm really busy. Yeah, but there's an F word in there. I'm really <laughs> busy. Michelle is a thought leader with over 20 years specializing in building scalable and secure end-to-end system design, identity and access management, and cloud computing technologies for companies of all sizes. Michelle shares her experiences through presentations and keynotes all over the world and has been publishing regularly in technology journals. Michelle wrote the best-selling book, Learning WCF, by O'Reilly in 2007. Visit her blog at michellebusta.com, that's one L, and find her on Twitter at Michelle Busta. Welcome, Michelle Busta. Hello. How are How you? How you doing? We're good, good. We're Last back. show of the day, we were, but first show published. There you go. And we're together again in London, and yeah, generally we get out of hand. It's the speaker's party tonight. We'll probably go off the rails, off the ruby rails. And uh, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. I've been here already for several days, actually. Did you we did a workshop? I did a workshop with on uh, one of my good old buddies, Chris Haddad, on microservices. And this is a good one, you know, in terms of history, because he and I actually go way back to the early 2000s when we were doing all that interoperability stuff. Oh, Interop- yeah, yeah. Yeah, service-oriented. When, when I first ran across you, too, it was an interoperability. It was that's the, right. So making Java and, and, and .NET play well together. Java Basically, and you're .net. explaining what data sets are to Java, Java developers, right? Uh, <laughs> Kind of not, though, because data sets suck. No, you remember back in the <laughs> yeah. day, that's what, yeah. you know. That's what we were using. And you were explaining what getters and setters were to .NET developers. And then mm-hmm. <laughs> Something like that. And then well, we evolved into the whole soap thing. And WS soap became a lot of soap. Yeah. And a lot of soap became complex. And then we had to make it talk to each other. So Chris and I used to do these these uh, conference roadshows where we would show Interop Live with two big screens. Yeah. And make stuff talk to each other. Were between, you like the .NET person he was the Java person? We or? mixed both, actually. Actually, I did WebLogic, BEA, and mm-hmm. I did uh, WCF, and he was doing that. IBM and, and JBoss Java. And then we, we literally got every standard in the WSTAR stack, reliability, That's 
positions, you talking know, security, to talking to each other after many late nights working together remotely, well, literally all, not sleeping for all weeks. All those little version changes between each one of the WF stacks. And if you got any of them wrong, it just didn't work. Well, and it's not even that. Standards were just a suggestion. Right. As they already still yeah. are. How were they actually being implemented? Right. Were they so helpful? nobody did it exactly the way it should be, or they chose a different algorithm for certain security aspects. And so you'd have to figure out, well, they're using this algorithm and you'd have to look at the actual output to see, ah, it's not compatible. I get it. Yeah. And look for the errors and so forth. So it was a nasty, fun mess. So nowadays is interoperability simply, well, use REST? It is, actually. Yeah. I mean, we really came full circle. We went from, hey, SOAP is cool. I can generate a proxy. And isn't that better than doing some HTTP call where I have to call you and say, what do I send you again? Right. To all these standards and complexities to really great stacks that tried to simplify it, like WCF. But they're still difficult because yeah. you got to understand the stuff underneath. And there's still code you can generate proxies from and data. And yeah. WCF yeah. still no, exists, too. Heck, it's getting better. It's still going to be around because there's a lot. It's just like COBOL still around in some ways, nice. right? Sorry, to that Cobol may not be a one-to-one so. -one comparison. I'm going to send that know. note to Yuval right there. Yeah, that's a one. death march right there. <laughs> no, but I mean, the reality is that things were complicated, and then people were just like, hey, I just want to... You know what happened? Mobile, right? Mobile right. comes out, and now XML mobile, not so friendly. I can't, yeah, I can't, under, I can't handle all this formality. And I can't get a certificate and do a proof-of-possession token. Yeah. You know, like, it's just not going to work. Not going to do it. If phone's not going to do it. So we end up dropping back. Let's do web APIs. And now everything web APIs again. And now, of course, web APIs have their own standards around the security. And they're looking at new standards for proof of possession tokens yep. and ways to do it. But it's it's still got that lightweight feeling that you didn't experience in the SOAP days, right? Yeah. So there is a, a simplicity to it that makes it a little more accessible. Two hard days of workshop. And yeah, yeah it, it takes a lot out of you. Yeah, well, we did one day, but, oh, okay. uh, but you know, the, the space is moving quite quickly, yeah, and there's a lot makes of Makes us platforms. feel old. Makes me feel old. Well, anyway. I realize, you know, reading that comment, I mean, we did a show talking about containers in Azure a year ago. Right. Yeah. And, and it was the Im impetus, really, right? It was so right at the beginning. I yeah. mean, where the are containers? Yeah. Where are containers in Azure? Do we have them? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think probably a small history of what the heck is a container might be warranted, but yeah, that's you know, true. you know, because really, you know, Docker is 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 sort of the fundamental technology, right, that yeah. came out first, yep. and it was based upon the Linux LCX mm -hmm. or sorry, LXC. Yeah, I, I'm not a Linux person, obviously, so I don't remember my things all the time. Um, but but Docker um, essentially, but some tooling around that, right? Mm -hmm. And ways to, you know, I guess have uh, uh, configuration as code so that you can rebuild an image and have it be predictable and have a base image that you build upon and it's layered like an onion, you know, so yeah. now I can get somebody else can build a great image on something and I can add some stuff to it and then I can deploy that as a container and have it run against a port on a machine and then I need clustering technology so they come up with Swarm. Um, well, my, my elevator speech for what is a container is it's something that has the configurability of an OS, but the lightweightness of a process. Yeah. 
You, so you, you might say that. Yeah. And it, it leverages the operating system resources yeah. and kernel so that without you don't have to have to a it. hypervisor and another OS installed, right. essentially. Plus, it's like a very fast-booting OS that you can take up and super down very fast. quickly. I mean, you start a container, it's like, boom, a boom. whole like you know, an Linux instance, and it's just Well, and boom. virtualization came along way before mm-hmm. configuration as code. So right. trying to retrofit configuration code mentality into virtualization has been a problem. It still doesn't work all that well. So the right. fact that we have sort of a new kind of virtualization that abstracts out the OS right. and is configuration code from the outset makes a lot of sense. Well, it's the time and yeah. it's the predictability and it's the eve of ease of movement so that you can have the real sort of works on my machine experience, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I build a container on my local box and if I'm using a Linux like uh, VirtualBox or something, mm-hmm. I literally know that when I push that up to my Linux box in the cloud, it's going to just work. Yeah, it just will. So that so, predictability is nice. So there's containers. Do we have them in Azure? How do we have them? So then, what happened is a lot of other folks came up with, uh, you know, hosting platforms around Docker or mm-hmm. similar types of technology, right? So possibly even their own. Um, and it started with uh, Amazon EC2 container services, mm-hmm. for example, and Google Container uh, Engine. And they each have proprietary mechanisms for managing and deploying containers. And then you've got um, Azure, which has a lot of different options. We have uh, you know, things that are really still evolving, though. So we have the promise of uh, uh, Windows containers, which is now available in the tech preview of Windows Server 2016 Tech Preview 3. Nice. And that um, uh, also accompanied by uh, Nano Server, right, which is the headless yes. deployment. Right. Um, they're both container ready and you can deploy containers from a similar Docker file type uh, script, if you will, and you can use Docker commands to build the image and deploy it, and you can deploy it also to the same server as a hypervisor or a Hyper-V container, but that doesn't work in Azure. That's an on-prem thing right Right. now. Before we go too fast, um, difference between the uh, Windows container and the nano server. What's okay, the so, there? well, Nano Server is really like Windows Server Lite, right? Okay. Very lightweight, so headless OS. with no UI. It's a headless OS. Headless OS, thank right. you. So you would still have to load that up in a VM. It's not really a container then. It's not a container. It's it's, a container it's, it's the OS, exactly. It. And then you would deploy containers to it, right. and it has the Docker runtime there. Hey, Rockheads. As Richard and I travel the world for the Azure World Tour, we're telling people all about our dev-centric friends at Stackify. They've been awarded PC Magazine Editor's Choice for Application Performance Management, stating, and I quote, The depth of application information provided by Stackify totally outshine the other products in this category, end quote. Because Stackify so successfully integrates errors, logs, and metrics into a core APM Plus tool, it's a must-have for .NET developers, which is why PC Mag's Paul Farrell calls it one of the best infrastructure management services of 2015. Try Stackify now for free, and they'll ship you their coveted Developers Against Humanity card game. Just activate your account. Use the link bit.ly slash netrocks to build better apps faster and get your free game. Second question is, what is Microsoft's goal here if, if, if Docker uh, already works great and is becoming standard on the Linux platform? Do they want to just do everything that Docker does but on Azure, and why? Yeah, you know, I, I think it comes down to this. Think about 
we're mostly as you know windows people yeah so i'm doing docker on linux right now because mm-hmm. the tooling is farther along mm-hmm. um and I'm not a Linux admin, so Mm. I'm not going to be managing someone's production deployment on Linux, right? I can design, I can develop, Mm -hmm. I can help with strategy and architecture and good practices around scaling and and all of those things. But somebody else has to give me the But somebody else needs to be, like, you know, in in charge of that cluster, right? Somebody else needs to augment that knowledge. So if you are a .NET Microsoft shop and you want to do containers and Docker Mm -hmm. and you don't understand that, platform to manage and you don't want to have to learn Linux, mm-hmm. then you're going to want a Windows version. So that is the satis- that's what's satisfied by the Windows But container. you're still going to have to interact with all these other people who do speak Docker. But the Docker command line is really, what, 25 commands mm-hmm. around building and deploying images and, right. and snapshotting them and, and doing interesting things. And then we can also use PowerShell. Right. So the PowerShell option would be for people that don't use Docker already and they're on a Windows box and they know PowerShell. So they get commands to do the same thing. It'll look and feel similar, but it's PowerShell because they know it. And will the Windows containers be able to run Docker images? Well, it's running a... Docker image that is based on the Windows OS. So when you create an image, you but tell it the base OS. I can't go grab a Docker image that somebody else has created for Docker and put it in. A you Windows. can't go grab a Docker image based on Linux OS. You have to tell it what the base Got OS it. compatibility is. Got and it. so all the Docker images that are in Docker Hub today, mm-hmm. there wasn't one I could find based on Windows Server Core because it's not even really released yet. But you could still spin up a Docker container in a Linux VM in Azure. Yes, you can. Sure. And I am doing that actively. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so so the real distinction here is if I want to do raw Docker, and this is the important point because we need to get to what's beyond that. Right. So raw Docker is that hardcore, I'm going to do it all, right? I'm going to use raw tools, Swarm, you know, different. So, and so all you're asking Azure to do is run a VM for you. You've just got the VM and you're putting stuff on it and right. it's going to be based on Linux or it's going to be based on Windows and I'm going to have to do all the work around Remind networking. Remind me what Swarm is. Yeah, so Swarm would be the clustering and uh, orchestration and and scheduling tool, um, of which there are several options, so that would be one that you can use to, um, uh, you know, let's say I'd send a command to distribute a container across my cluster. So I have five nodes, I have 100 nodes, I have 3,000 nodes, and I say, deploy this, find a space for it, and it will look at the resources across the cluster, which one will fit this constraints of this image. So if I say the image requires X amount of CPU to run or X amount of memory, then it will find space on the right VM. So you can do some pretty intricate things around resource constraints when you do the distribution seems like a mechanism that makes an awful lot of sense for on-prem cloud architecture, that you're, you're caring about utilizing the hardware well. Mm-hmm. Where, and cloud for yeah. cost. Yeah, yeah cost from containment. a cost perspective. Like you're not just lighting up a separate VM for everything. Well, you're yeah. trying to utilize the VMs. And we should possible. talk about why there are motives for wanting to have multiple copies of a container on VMs. Yeah. So let's mm-hmm. come back to that. Sure, but yeah. I think just the story right now is just that you, know, you need a way a place to host them. So you've got your VM and your OS. You need a topology for what are my containers doing? Mm-hmm. That's your microservices design. And then you need um, a, a, I guess, a, a, a scheduler that knows and has a registry and discovery service for where are all these services right now. Sure. And so some of those things are separate pieces you can plug and play, right? So 
Swarm has that built in and it uses any number of key value containers that are clustered mm -hmm. so that you can register and have a list of here's the containers, here's where they are, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and that's an important concept that's part of this you know, ecosystem mm -hmm. is, is the registry, the discovery, the key value cluster, and the scheduling and yeah. orchestration. And when we talk about Amazon and Google's implementations of this, are they taking much of that stuff off the table? It's more of a platform as a service exactly. offering? Okay. And that's where we want to Wait, talk is about. who taking it? Google and Amazon? And Amazon. Well, yeah. and Microsoft will be doing will that be, too. Will be, right? Because I think there's two different, I think you were getting at this, Carl. Yeah. There's two distinctly different things that Microsoft needs to do here. Yeah. There is host Docker well on Azure, and there is make Windows a viable Docker target. Right. Right. And so they've already got the first part of that because VM. If you do it as a VM, I just don't think that's hosting well. Because well, now you own all this. You've got to choose Swarm. And so, I mean, I would yeah, hope but that... but that's what people do okay. in the ecosystem. So, the, so, so this, is the, this is not the compete. Putting a VM on Amazon also works, right? Oh, yes. And those are not PaaS, and those are about, not helper you know, sure. deployments. When, but when you talk about Amazon EC2 container service, that's, that's not That's a different that. thing. That's exactly. not that. Okay. So the next layer would be the EC2 container service-like mm -hmm. thing. Right, and the Google Engine container service. Google so, Engine even does more. So I would say the first tier is the raw Docker. The next right. one is the container service. service. And the container service would be not quite platform as a service yet. It's right. more like oh, okay. I've got some tools. I've built in the scheduler. It's kind of smart infrastructure. All it's right. kind of like they ha they handle your scheduler for you. They they make sure the swarm equivalent is available already, so right. you don't have to deploy that cluster. Right. You just deploy the containers, and they enlist and register, and everything else so works. So what would make it platform as a service if I just had a button? Hold like, that thought. Let me tell okay. you. <laughs> you just got to listen. I just want to know what button to push, you just Michelle. <laughs> I got to push the right button at the right Stop time. Stop talking while I'm interrupting. Um, so... <laughs> So basically, if I could get back to my point. Please do. Um, Microsoft has the vision of the, um, of the Azure <laughs> container service, okay? Mm -hmm. Which would be the equivalent of the Amazon EC2 container service, okay? okay. Now, your bobblehead is telling me that's all a lot of confusion. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. There's a lot. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing. One of the biggest problems around dealing with Docker and containers and scheduling and distributing all these little nodes is managing where the heck are they all. That's right. And, you know, obviously health, recovery, mm -hmm. you know, and, and automating some of that. So, and, and the networking aspect is a bit, bit of a pain, too, because if you think about it, the promise of containers is not the same as websites. Um, and I, I've had some good discussions about this with my buddy Chris Haddad, too, because you know, he lives a lot in the, in the Google Kubernetes space where right. they do a lot of interesting things. Uh, so, for example, the real vision is that I have a container that's constrained and has you know, limited resources it can touch, so you can do the multi-tenant restriction thing. Right. Mm. And I could essentially splay out any number of my web API instances, but even on the same box. Mm. So it's no longer the idea that you have this one port 80 to web app one, two, and three, and there's only one instance of each of those web apps on every VM, and now you have 3,000 VMs. The right. idea is that if you grow the things that take up space on the machine in a more controlled and finite way with limits on how much memory they use and so on, then you can splay out additional resources in smaller chunks and, and control the scale, but that implies mm. that they need to have a load balancer right. above mm. them well, that knows how to send a request to which of the three containers on this one box that I just found, which is not what a load balancer does. No, so you, now you bus. need... 
Yeah, now you need another proxy in front of that. And so people mm. in the raw Docker community are rigging this up with manual ways like putting, you know, weave networking and putting HA proxy in the front. Mm. And there's single points of failure that come right. with that unless you want to work really hard. Who 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 wants to do no. that? Nobody it's really wants idea. to do that. There are people that write of passage and, and knowledge and they've just done it and they're like, I'm good. But the majority of people are just simply not going to do that. So mm -hmm. they're not going to use containers in the way that they were intended to be mm -hmm. until there's tools to make that easy. So the tools to make that easy have to allow your discovery process to also enlist your port and handle all of that networking and load balancing. So Kubernetes does that at the outward and internal you know, tiers. And this um, circles back to your point that right. the, the Google offering is a, a more platformy offering. It's very PaaS. Right. And the equivalent right now available on Azure for that type of thing is Service Fabric, you see. Interesting. It's okay. proprietary. Yeah. And it's not Docker. No, But right. it's fantastic. Yeah. And, and I mean, really, lately, I'm now really seeing the, the fantastic part about it. Okay. So... So there's still more in the container story, but I, mean, I think it's worth saying that if you think about how Azure has evolved its past story, it started with cloud services. Mm -hmm. And cloud services was a worker role or a web role. Yep. And then web roles were sort of like, yeah, well, now websites, and now they're called web apps, can do all the things that right. I would need. So why would I go to a web or worker or web role? Sorry. Right. So you only use a web role if you can't install the thing you need mm -hmm. on the website, right? Because right. you don't control the VM. So most people go web app, boom, I'm done. And now I'm using the whole VM for mm -hmm. that one instance of the web app, not container, but it works. You can yep. scale that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's chunky scaling, Yeah, right? it's a little thick and it's expensive. And it can get expensive, thing. yep. And because you're not thinking in micro, right. it's more of a design thing. Right. Then now when you go to update apps, I know people with horrific problems with right. touching their site. I mean, they've got seven large instances because they should only need three. Right. But let's say it's not optimized. The app's not optimized. There, there's no time to update it because it's so fragile because everything's glued together and they need to start breaking it up. Right. Or it's never going to get updated. So those, that's the promise of the design aspect, right? Yeah. So so now coming back to Service Fabric, well, it evolved from cloud services. And at first, I was sort of like, meh, you know, like, mm -hmm. really? Am I going to do that again? Right? Right. Yep. But it also took the best stuff from, believe it or not, WCF. Huh. So here I am going, okay. So cloud services did a lot of that in the beginning. WCF obviously, you know, wrote a book on it, have a lot of experience there. And then I finally started digging into service fabric and it was actually familiar, which mm. is interesting mm. because with the Docker stuff, I mean, I sort of feel like, wow, I'm sort of a fish out of water right now. You know, I, I have all these, I, I have all this experience, you <laughs> right. know, I have all this experience around design and scale and distribution and, and good practices. And I can, I can put my finger on that, mm. but the actual details of running the operation live 24 seven, I mean, not too many people have that experience yet. Yeah. And so it's sort of like fish out of water. And then you go over to this service fabric thing and it's, you know, it's familiar. Okay, I'm, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought, because Richard, you know what time it is? Wow, that's the happy time already. It's that happy time already. It's time to announce our new podcast, Oh, Soap and Cobalt, two great tastes <laughs> that taste great together. <laughs> I'm Soap. You're, I'm Cobalt. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> I'm what? Hi, this is Soap and, and Cobalt. All right. <laughs> Oh, I feel old. It's actually time 
to give away a music to code by complete 11 track collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Music to code by is a set of 25 minute Pomodoro sized, quiet and groovy instrumentals specifically designed to promote focus. It will get you into a state of flow and keep you there. Check out how .NET Rocks fans are being way more productive. And their kids with homework. Yeah, that's awesome. The letters and the notes and letters are pouring in. Um, people with uh, autism on the autism spectrum. Uh, kids doing homework. Like, th- this is becoming a thing now. See what it's all about. Go to musictocodeby.net. So groovy. So groovy. Do you listen? Groovy, babe. I yeah? do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are getting more groovy, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, there it is, musictocodeby.net. We got a new URL. So, buddy, who's our winner? Today's winner is Marcus Holmgren. Congratulations, Marcus. Golf clap for you. Golf clap for you, sir. And Marcus just won the complete collection of Music to Code by Audio. And uh, if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of that fan club. And we also ask our guests, Michelle, you've done this a million times, but, you know... One more time. One more trip to the shopping store or Amazon or whatever it is. You got five grand. We're going shopping. What are you buying? I want a uh, projector. A projector? That I can use to connect to anything in my home, phone, Xbox, whatnot, plop in any room and drop, you know, whatever, either a white background or just on the wall. Because my son, is, it's very important to him that he can act like a teacher. Wow. And we need a projector. Wow. So I need something that I can take around literally and like literally fi- fire Wi-Fi signal and have it play whatever movies, whatever things we yeah, want. Really Is there want a device m- for that? Yeah. Yeah. Sure, I can, I can yeah. point you at a couple of them. They're not even, a th- they're like $1,000. Oh, I want five of them then. Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you what comes to mind. And they've got, and Miracast, right? Like that's yeah. the whole thing. It's the wireless projecting protocols are starting to really work. Yeah. And so you can even project off your phone and things like I, that. I have one for the phone right now, yeah. but it's not good enough. All it does is, you know, whatever it's, files you have I have uh, downloaded. An, I have a set a set that's an HDMI HDMI trans transmitter and receiver. Yeah. And so you can basically plug one end into your TV mm-hmm. or what your projector or whatever and the right. other end into anything that's HDMI output. <laughs> And there you go. And it has to connect to the stereo and everything, right? Well, sure. Yeah, all the things. Yeah. All the things in one place. I don't know if that's going to work for you, but I, it, I will, you know, it's, it's radio, and mm-hmm. it's probably faster than Wi-Fi. Cool. Do I get the 5000 Uh, That's only like three or $400. Okay. Yeah, Can you, haven't, I've... you haven't spent the money yet. Yeah. You have to spend yeah. more money. Oh, I need to spend more money? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but do like things like sound equipment count? Yeah, it's technology. Yeah, exactly. Hey, you know, IoT shoes would would be okay. IoT shoes. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. I didn't even know that existed. I, wow. They don't, but they do now. Somebody's <laughs> got the idea. And they could give you a smelly index. Let's ship it. <laughs> smelly index. A smelly index? Yeah, it would be a number between 1 and 10 of how smelly your shoes are. Oh. How about that? <laughs> Jeez. I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't, I don't know, know what you're talking, talking about, about either. I don't, but I don't know if I'd want to know if they smelled. I, I would for some I mean, reason. do you I want would. it to like emit some sort of like, you know, signal so that everybody knows like your feet smell cloud? in there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like every step is like a tuft of dust. Well, you know? So here's what I want to know. So if I'm standing in an elevator in a group mm-hmm. of people and I smell feet, 
I want to know it's not me. So I look down at my smartwatch or whatever it is, and it says, oh, no, it's only a 0.5. <laughs> it's not me. Oh, it's okay, that yeah. guy. All right. Yeah, you want directional cloud detection. I don't know. <laughs> All right, so we were talking about service fabric. Yes. And you were getting to, you know, this, is, this is where Microsoft, you know, they sort of stumbled into that area where, where Docker has uh, dominated with service fabric, but it's different. It's different, and because they still will have the solution for the PaaS like mm-hmm. Docker too with mm-hmm. Azure Container Service. So, the idea is that you know not everybody one size fits all is going to want to go to Service Fabric. Right. Um, but if you are a .NET shop, it is now getting to the point, and I I very recently feel this way just even from exploring some real situations that I was skeptical about, and now I'm not. Mm. Um, it's it's pretty darn impressive. I mean, you know, it's essentially you create a project, you add the services. They can be, uh, you know, stateless, stateful services. That's kind of an interesting discussion, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can also still have your front end, right? Your web app, your web API. But they're all in one solution, the same way the cloud service kind of operated with web and worker roles, so mm-hmm. that when you deploy, it's no longer the idea of, oh, every role has a VM. Of course not, because we're talking about clustering technology and, sure. and distribution of microservices. But it's the idea is that you have a cluster, you have a local one that is sort of like the simulator we used to have, only not bad. Mm. <laughs> uh, sorry, did I say that out loud? Um, uh, it actually performs, right? It, it works. actually works. And so the whole works on my machine thing sort of parlays into this story, because yeah. now I can push that same thing to the cloud. And what it will do is distribute those services services across my cluster. Mm-hmm. I don't have to think about the scale aspects. That part is handled. You don't have to worry about the health monitoring aspects because that will be taken care of for you. You know, one of the instances goes down. You can watch it because they give you a visual around this too. So if you're deploying an update, you see things going yellow for upgrade mm-hmm. and then recycling back to green. Uh, something's down, you see that it's red and then it will start distributing the instances to the other VMs that are available in your nodes. In, in the service fabric world in Azure, do you have this idea of reusable, uh, pre-configured services? I mean, one of the cool things about Docker is that you know Docker images are everywhere, and mm-hmm. you could just download them and plug them in. Right. Yeah. No. I. I mean, I think that's probably not the case right now. Yeah. Um, you can see I haven't them going looked. there because there was a time when we started doing that with VMs, right? Well, in the Where- marketplace. Yeah, right. it was just this idea of, hey, getting a, a working configuration for this product is a pain in the butt. So let me give you a VM of it already configured. Right. Yeah. Now, it's gigabytes, yeah, right? But it saved you the headache. You, you're almost sort of guaranteeing a good experience. If you like this VM, it's already set up right, off you go. Yep. Yep. Right? And you, it, it solves some licensing problems. There was a lot of advantages to doing that. Right. In the, service, uh, in the microservices world, though, these things are truly like these little That's the whole thing is pieces. Getting, get them lighter. No, it's, it, it, in fact, I'm going to be doing that in my Elk Talk tomorrow. This is exactly the Mm. the point, right? Is that with the Docker side, you can absolutely build upon somebody else's image and start configuring it and then give this to somebody. And and I've done that for logging purposes and it works like a charm. Yeah. You were almost going to say the F-bomb there, weren't you? What? It works like a... Are you charm. I, I, <laughs> I heard that. Don't mock me. I'm no, no, I'm, I'm encouraging you, actually. <laughs> yeah, okay. You want to bleep me, don't you? You're, nice. you're looking for a bleep opportunity, hey, and here I, I am trying to be polite and ladylike. Doesn't everybody want to bleep you? Fuck Seriously, you. when it comes to it. <laughs> And so it begins, so the bleeping. We made it like 40 we minutes. We haven't even had a drink yet. I know. Have I mentioned how really f***ing busy I am? Okay. <laughs> so, 
So. Back on the that whole announcement around the Windows container with Docker and so forth, they also mentioned Apache Mesosphere. That is where we were going to go oh, next. Okay, so, okay. I'm anticipating. so, so Mesosphere has really, if you look at the Docker side of the house, you know, on Linux and traditional, they have some of the really better tools, I think, around scheduling and orchestration and scale. You can scale from the panel, and and it's not PaaS, but it's it's just a, a better setup, in my opinion, in terms of getting you uh, further along in management tools, let's mm -hmm. call it. And so what they also have, though, is this new thing called uh, data center operating system. And that is their um, packaging around really giving you a visual around, you know, uh, the health and scale of all of your nodes. If you have like a thousand nodes out there, it'll show them all. And it'll show which ones have, you know, are recycling or, or needing to spin up. You know, because of, of of some sort of health issue, um, you can actually go to their panel, select software you want to deploy, like say MongoDB or or Kibana Elk Stack, something like mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. and it will distribute it across the nodes for you, and it will do the auto scale type features. And so, what Microsoft is doing is they're taking DCOS, and they are using that as in their partnership with Mesosphere as the foundation for Azure Container Service. Mm. And so I look at that, although I don't have access to it yet, right? Like this is really new. Um, it is in a, pri a preview that is being controlled right now. Right. So mm. I'm on the list, but I, I think the way I would put it is I see that as potentially being the displacement to say what Kubernetes is doing. Okay? Right. okay. And so Kubernetes and Google um, so Google, you know, uh, Container Engine yep. is essentially a superset of Kubernetes. Kubernetes. How do you spell that? Kubernetes. K-U-B-E-R-N-E-T-E-S. Okay. Kubernetes. Kubernetes. Got it. Yeah. You and and it's, it, I also see it as an alternative to Docker. Well, it, it, it is, but yeah. I mean, it's kind of all found upon the same premise, right? Mm -hmm. So you're still distributing containers if across that. it's a little that. higher level, though. Yeah, right? it's just a little abstraction to it. Right. And so, so the Google Container Engine, you know, they deal in containers their way, mm -hmm. but it's a superset of Kubernetes. But Kubernetes can actually be deployed elsewhere and give you some of the same management capability. It mm. just won't be full paths. It'll give you some of it. It's like a step closer. So you go to the very, very top, and you're talking things like Service Fabric, mm -hmm. Google Container Engine, and possibly this Azure Container Service. Mm -hmm. uh, once we see it, we'll get a feeling for that. Right. And then you go sort of one layer down, and you have things like uh, Kubernetes probably as a tool, mm -hmm. and DCOS deployed elsewhere without the management around it, let's say, that Microsoft is adding. Mm -hmm. right. And then you go another layer down, and you got Azure Container Service, Windows Container Service, and, and things like that. And then you go another layer down, and you're just you're doing all the shit yourself. Right, right. right. I mean, yeah. to, to put it bluntly. That yeah. was French, by the way. Yeah. I recognize it. It's been a year since we were first talking about this. Is Microsoft moving slowly? Like, why no, I don't think so. I, I think that the reality is that there's a whole new generation of Windows Server that needed to evolve. Right, and that's, it's clear that this is part of Windows Server 2016. But I, I would think the Azure side would be done. But when you say the Azure side, are you referring to PaaS Service Fabric? Because it's 
Because right. it's, it's got, it is got, dumb, but it's not it necessarily done. docker well, it's friendly. Well, not containers, really. Yeah. Right, but it doesn't matter if it's containers if it's achieving your goal of a microservices strategy and right. architecture. That's true, but like we said before, right. you're writing all of the code yourself versus leveraging a lot of what's already done. But let's consider for a moment what are the things you're leveraging. You're still writing your own software when mm-hmm. you leverage another container usually. Sure. What you're getting potentially for free are some of the components around that. So nothing would stop me from, for example, standing up an Elk stack for logging. Right. in a Docker container, by yeah. the way, sure. and having that be the thing that I call from my service fabric if I would like. So mm-hmm. you can mix and match now, and that would right. just that's, be a different cluster. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yep. Uh, yeah, uh, the thing that comes to mind is like a MongoDB or a RavenDB thing inside a container with uh, some more you know, things that exist out there. And then being able to call all that stuff, but you know, in a in a microservices world, you really do want to decompose things. You don't well, and look at it this way. So Azure Database mm-hmm. is based on Service Fabric, right? Yeah. And DocDB is based on Service Fabric, mm. and I would be leveraging those services that are already there in Azure sure. when I go and I do my Service Fabric deployment. So I don't need the container to draw from. I have the service available to me. Yep. Mm. Yep. Yeah, it's right. a good story. Yeah. But it's clearly not a done one. Like, we, we revisit this a year from now. Hopefully, server 2016 ships. So, the, you know, the sort of primary container components for the Windows side is done, and Azure is supporting them properly. Like, we, it still feels like we've got a lot of parts left to go. There's a lot of parts to go, but I would say this. I would say on the, on the Microsoft side and Azure, Service Fabric is, I mean, I have people developing against that now. It's still marked as a preview. And there are... It doesn't matter. It's close enough to yeah. where people are building on that mm-hmm. now right. for their this, let's say, this year's release. Okay, mm-hmm. 2016 releases, you start Service Fabric, you're good to go. If you're, if you're greenfielding, you should be Service Fabric. I mean, that's, that's if you want PaaS yeah. and you want things managed for you. Yeah. Um, Which is a, no, our best value for turn, right? right? And I didn't say software. this three months ago, right? Yeah. So, it's only and, and that was partially mm-hmm. my own lack of knowledge, even just getting an actual experience behind me but where I'm re- like, okay, now in October I was doing some things. And then in November, I was doing some other things with a, another uh, potential customer. And I realized, okay, you know what? All these questions I'm asking that I thought we couldn't do before, mm-hmm. now it sounds like we can. Right. So now it's starting to look good. So now I'm actually using it for one of my things and realizing, oh, it's good. It's, yeah. um, and so I think that's one way to go. And then the other way- Because they've only just announced it, right? We did those yeah, shows right. on the Azure right. tour. But DCOS, the whole Azure container service right. with DCOS, that would be the other thing. I would look at those two things on Azure as the the way to go unless you want to do raw I'm doing my own docker and if I'm doing raw my own docker I'm on Linux for quite a while because I don't think we're going to have the full Windows story for raw for a while because we need still the tooling to evolve like Swarm is now available for Windows I believe Mm -hmm. uh, for the clustering Mm -hmm. but I mean there's a whole lot of other tools I just don't see why you'd want raw that you want to be as high up in the stack as possible I think it depends on 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 what you're willing to pay for, right? Because well, you're going to pay for the, some of these past things. So you're maybe also some companies don't. paying for very don't. skilled people, too, right. and and right. continuous monitoring and so forth. Like a lot of stuff. Right. The reason you pay for it from the Azure side or from the cloud side is so you don't have to pay for it yourself. Right. Well, but you know, companies that have large teams and many many thousands of right. servers, they they're basically saying, "Look, I'm going to invest in people." Right. And I'm going to invest in knowing how to manage this myself because otherwise I'm paying through the nose. There's right. a do it do it ourselves or don't do it at all kind of mentality out there as well. In the, in, the, in the Linux field, in the area, <sighs> I just, I'm just not going to buy that argument. I, you know the argument I would buy? I want to run this on two clouds. 
Mm. Yeah. Right. You, know, you know what? Mm-hmm. That's a really good one. Yeah. Glad I That's thought of it. That's a great one. Yeah, it's great. Because <laughs> if I want to run it on two clouds, I think I'm pretty much stuck with raw because the higher level platform stuff is you are, if you go down the service fabric way, you're bound to Azure. No, you're not. Eventually that will run just quite nicely on another cloud. Eventually. Eventually. Hmm. So I Maybe. think that's not going to be a vendor lock-in story forever. I don't think so. Well, because think about, about it this way. I can run it on my machine. Yes. So why couldn't so I run it So it's inevitable that there is a vision somewhere yeah. that has to go you know, to hmm. where I can deploy this The fact elsewhere. that you can run service fabric on your machine means that at a minimum you could set up an AWS VM well, and set up the fabric up there. I, I don't know that You'd Microsoft still have to manage is incentivized. It, yeah. You still have to manage it. Yeah. I don't know if Microsoft is incentivized to do that. I mean, from what I see, the incentive is get everybody on Azure at all costs. Remember, service fabric, though, is free, right? You're only paying for the VMs. Right. Yeah, but still people people using Azure Compute, which is what they want. But but there is an argument for they're going to make it easier. Make a fabric that works everywhere and runs best on my stuff, and you've got a better chance of winning. Until somebody makes it run better somewhere else. But that's I mean that's a good race for everybody to have, right? I suppose when I when I look at like the the Internet Explorer Chrome race that made JavaScript great. Those two dueling teams changed the world for JavaScript in a period of two years. Like, it's astonishing what happened in that window that, that, that did all those things. We That's would be a bet. A, You're right. It would be there's... a very good place to mm-hmm. have a common language like a JavaScript. They call it the service fabric, running on competing clouds with them racing to make them better. Like, we really win when that happens. Yeah. It, it could be interesting. Yeah. yeah. No, no, it's I, exciting. I, I, yeah, I mean, we could... We could uh, conjecture about it all day. I don't yep. know. We'll see what happens, I guess. But I, it's think, interesting I think Carl is officially done with that conversation. Yeah, no, <laughs> I think so. I, I mean, I just don't I just have a hard time figuring that one out yeah. right now. I mean, bottom line is right now there's a lot of evolution mm-hmm. and a lot of, of, of people taking interest. This is the year of the up curve mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. these stacks. And this is the year of, I think, a greater swing in up curve on microservices as a technology approach in right. general, right? So, so there's a lot to do and there's a lot for people to learn. And there's migration considerations that, that one should consider embracing. Right, yeah. And then, you know, potentially, again, the platform choice is one of the hardest ones. Because, sure. I, I mean, really, the last couple months going through that on a couple of projects and realizing it's really hard to decide where am I putting my line in the sand because there's so many things I wish I had now. But I think Service Fabric is already ready for that choice if, if there's no reason you can't go with it. And it's not going away. Right? It's you're, not going you're not away. You're betting on something that's going to be phased out. Yeah. One thing I can see happening is because a smart microservices architecture is at least two clouds because of redundancy, right? And so that may be the story. You know, if we don't have redundancy, we don't have the cloud. And if, you, if it's either it has to run on Amazon as well as Azure or we don't do the cloud at all, then I can see. Yeah, I just think that's a. There are relatively few organizations I can make a really strong argument for needing two clouds. I, I agree with you on yeah. that. It's 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 a mission. Every everybody's stuff is mission critical. But when your mission critical thing is I'm the login service or identity service for companies like that are Fortune 100, right? Then you better have two clouds because yeah. if something goes wrong, you literally will lose your shirt, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing with clouds is that right. the whole thing goes down sometimes. The yeah, whole but, thing. But there but is this, such a thing as regions and yeah, and, and traffic management yeah. across the regions, and that's getting better, and right? Cloud, and, and any given public cloud goes down a lot less than any given organization. Yeah, you're right. right about that. Right. We're still better off, and you have somebody else to blame, which is even better still. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, nobody ever wants downtime. No. But, yeah. but if you can accept the fact that it's going to cost you way more than the risk, mm-hmm. then you accept one yeah, cloud and, just, and, and you just And the risk is dramatically lower than running it yourself for most organizations. Right. Right. You, you, you articulate this pretty well when you're talking about the kind of people that are going to run raw are the kind of people that would probably never run in the cloud anyway until they have very strong control over or, it. So mm-hmm. multiple cloud makes sense. Or right. until they have the, the law on their side or their right. policies on their side, that kind of stuff. It's do you want to know what a, a lot of Docker people do today that I do know that are in production? They have all kinds of single points of failure. Right. Really? You know why? Because raw Docker is hard. Right. Yeah. And it's hard to get rid of the single points of failure so they end up not having those proxies and networking things set up and mm. they deal with it just like I'm sure we've all known in the past somebody who had a single VM up and running hosting their website or corporate site or even product site sure. and somehow managed to get by with that for who, who knows that? how many years. That's crazy. Talk. And you know what? It actually can work <laughs> until, it until it doesn't and doesn't. then you're mad. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a whole conversation. Exactly. About, yeah. So yeah. there you go. I totally agree. Yep. Well, geez, the time has flown by 51 minutes already 52 minutes uh hey i think it's time for a joke now um disclaimer michelle every time you come on the show you tell a dirty joke so if there are kids out there listening go away nice it's my very special claim to fame isn't oh, it oh yes it is yes it is yes i'm very polite deep down yeah um it's certainly this show i do have a joke for you though okay so there's this guy I'm laughing already. He doesn't walk into the bar. Oh, no. You think he would have seen it coming. No, there's, there's a guy who goes in for his, I'm sure you've been here, annual prostate exam. Woohoo! Oh, yeah. He's got some issues, waiting for the doctor. Doctor comes in the room, looks at him and says, okay, well, you know, David, um, I think you're going to need to stop masturbating so much. <laughs> and he says, really, doctor? Why? Do you think that's part of the problem? He says, well, for one, I'm really uncomfortable right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's terrible. My husband told me that joke. That's brilliant. Docker jokes. (laughs) (laughs) So Docker will forever be linked to masturbation. Michelle, thanks. It's always great to talk to you. And of course, your jokes are precious. Awesome to see you. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a